Hey, church family, thank you so much again for joining us for Cornerstone Online. And uh, if you were with us last week, you know that we kicked off a new series called Lenses, Living in Light of Resurrection. And we looked at how the whole Bible tells one unified story that points us to Jesus and that lifts up his life, death, and resurrection as the, the, the key that unlocks God's redemptive purposes for all of creation, that all of the Bible points to and finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And so I'd encourage you to go back and watch part one. And so we're going to continue. We're going to jump right in to lenses part two. If you have your Bibles, Luke 24, verse 36. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. This is the beautiful word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so you see here, Jesus, touch me. Feel me. Look at me. It's me. I'm not a ghost. I was bodily raised from the dead. And maybe you're thinking, why is that significant? Well, for many reasons, but primarily because of all of the bad theology out there about what the great Christian hope is. And, and central here when we see the resurrected Jesus with his disciples is, the, the beauty and the end goal of our faith is not some disembodied, spiritual, ecstatic experience, but it's an embodied, rich experience of a glorified body. Paul says we long in 2 Corinthians 5 to be clothed with that immortal body, that physical body that knows no death, no decay, no arthritis, no back pain. Can I get an amen? And so Jesus comes and he's bodily raised. And it's pretty much my favorite thing in the Bible that to prove that it's really him, he says, give me something to eat. I mean, who would not want to surrender to a king like that? And so we see Jesus like we did last week. He, he takes the whole story of the Bible and he, he opens their minds. And we saw in this story before their hearts burn when they see how all of it begins to fit together in and through Jesus. 
And, and you, you have to ask yourself, why is it so important for Jesus to give them new lenses to see the story and understand the message of the gospel? That's a fair enough question. Why is he doing this? I mean, again, this is the first thing he does. And I believe it's because the messengers, they would become the messengers of the message. And that makes sense enough. He wants them to understand their whole story, the story of Israel, the story of God's promise to Abraham, the story of Moses delivering the people from slavery in Egypt, the story of a king who would come in the line of David, the story of, of, of God not just building a temple where he would dwell, but remaking all of creation so that he could dwell with us as his people. And Jesus says this whole epic story finds its fulfillment in me. And he wants to make sure they have clarity and competency regarding the message. Like, I want you guys to understand what I did. I want you to know what my death means. I want you to know what my bodily resurrection means. He wants them to have clarity and competency. And thus, this is one of the purest forms of the gospel that Jesus himself gives his disciples. Thus, it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. I mean, we see this in 1 Corinthians 15. We see this in, in uh, the various uh, creeds that we sort of see throughout the Timothys, that there's this shorthand, easy-to-remember, basic presentation of what God has done in Christ. His life, he suffered, he died, he was raised, and now through his name and the preaching of his name, people can be forgiven and freed from their sins. I mean, this is the good news. So he wants to make sure they have clarity and competency in the message, but also confidence, courage, and conviction to carry out the commission. You are my witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And here's where so many of us, if we're honest, write ourselves out of the story. You may, you may think to yourself, no way, not me, no way. This original Mess, this original commission to go share the gospel to the nations, no way does that apply to me. You don't know my story, Chad. I'm a mess. I'm insecure. I'm full of fear. What was the state of the disciples when Jesus came to them? <clears throat> you think, not me. No way. I mean, I, I can appreciate the message, but no way would God want me to become a messenger of that message. And I just want to remind you, of the bunch of ragtag ruffians that Jesus was working with. They were fishermen, which wasn't exactly the highest um, thing to ascribe to. They were tax collectors. We don't even want to go there. Despised by every person. Zealots. They were bent. Some of, one of the disciples was bent on revolution and sword and overthrow. They were teenagers. They were many of them unschooled, ordinary people. And so if you think about writing yourself out of your story because of your own background, pedigree, 
Sorry, that excuse is very, very, very thin. Because look who Jesus was working with. If that's not worse, this is just, um, and again, no one, none of us would want what I am doing to the disciples to be done to us. This is a rap sheet of all of the things that you would think could write them out of God's story. Uh, they wanted to call down fire on those who opposed Jesus and wouldn't welcome him. They, I'm sorry, it should say rejected children, thinking that they were unimportant in God's kingdom. They argued on the night Jesus was to be betrayed over who was the greatest. Uh, one of them told Jesus that he was there's no way he could die. They believed the ship would sink, even though Jesus was with them in the storm. They denied, betrayed, and abandoned Jesus. And so every excuse you sort of may be tossing about in your heart or head that, okay, I get the message, but no way I could be a messenger. I'm sorry. If anyone had excuse to not become those messengers of the message, it would be these guys and gals. I mean, they had every reason and excuse to say, God, you got the wrong guy. God, you got the wrong gal. And so, yep, you and me, God has a plan and a purpose. And he is writing and actualizing his redemptive, reconciling, and renewing work through Jesus, through imperfect, weak vessels like you and me. And that should just give all of us fresh wind in our lungs to think, oh my goodness, no way. Yes, way. You and me. The Bible goes on in Luke's volume 2, the book of Acts, and it says this. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught or began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So as if it wasn't cool enough to have three plus years with Jesus, for 40 days after his resurrection, he gives many convincing proofs like what we just read. Here, it's me. Feel me. Touch me. You can just see the disciples. Uh, give me some food, sharing meals. But it's so significant that for 40 days, he's talking to them about the kingdom of God. And again, we're talking about why would they need clarity or lenses to see the message? It's because they would become its messenger. And you think, there's no way I could do that. Well, Kingdom 101, remember, for 40 days, that's what he's talking about. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the hunger, hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for they will be filled. In other words, the ones that the kingdom of God belongs to, those who receive its message, who are transformed by its message, and then transmit that message, yep, they're the poor in spirit. They're those who are meek, those who mourn, those who are hungry, those who are thirsty. And what do all of those things describe? People who lack, people who are bankrupt in and of themselves, people who are not at the front of the line, but at its back, people who experience something in them that they cannot conjure up or produce themselves. Does that apply to you? I know it applies to me feeling inadequate, insecure. There's no way God could 
use somebody like me. You don't know my story. And yet for 40 days, Jesus is unpacking the kingdom of God after his resurrection. And again, he's already given them their Bible back to read it in light of him, who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, what he will do. And he's saying, guys, you are central, guys and girls, you're central to this message, transforming not only your inner world, your immediate world, Jerusalem, Judea, your city, your region, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Yep, through you. And guys, God delights in using weak vessels to, to confound how the world and its kingdoms work. Paul says it like this, For God's foolishness is wiser than hu human wisdom. God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one may boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life. Hear it in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul is in full agreement with Jesus and his selection process, with Yahweh and his selection process of Israel. Deuteronomy 7, go back and read it. I didn't choose you because you were great or numerical or strong or impressive. I chose you because of love. And here we see the Apostle Paul, one of the early uh, church planters and missionaries of this message in the gospel. He's saying, think about what who you were, not None of us brought something to the table that would make God look through the eyes of Jesus and say, oh, yep, yeah, that qualifies him. Guys, this is the glory of the gospel. He chooses the weak, the imperfect, the broken, the insecure, those who've made a mess of their past so that he can write a story that would confound those who would see around them that God could use them. God could change their life. Come on, somebody say amen on the other side of that camera. This is what God does. So, part two, we need new lenses to see how resurrection transforms our weaknesses into windows that display Christ's glory. Through humble witnesses of the love and grace of Jesus, Surrendered to be and to do the will of God, Christ's kingdom invades the earth. Your weaknesses are windows through which God wants to display the glory of Jesus. You become witnesses of the love and grace and the mercy of Jesus that transforms your life. And as we surrender to the will of God, the kingdom of heaven invades the earth through you and through me, through us as we orient our lives around the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is why we need new lenses, not just so that we know how to read the story, 
but that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we become participants of the story. Oh, I could preach right now. I wish I had a, a, a crowd and a friends to celebrate this word with. And I love this, that you and I become those witnesses surrendered to the will of God. And, and I just want you to understand that, that many of us, those things that we write ourselves out of the story, our weaknesses, our past, our our lack of expertise, our lack of knowledge, all of those things, those things that we would say qualify us as weak or disqualify and discredit us, the Lord's like, you don't understand. It's through that I want to show the world that it was never about your performance, perfection, pedigree, but it was through what I have done in and through my son, Jesus. This is God's scenario. This is God's brilliance to bring empires to their knees, to confound the wise, the strong, the powerful. And I love that we see the weakness becoming a window to glory. And, and guess who we see it in first? Jesus. Look at this story. This just wrecks my heart, breaks my heart uh, in all the right ways. The people stood by watching, but the leaders, this is when Jesus is crucified, stood by and scoffed, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There, were also, there was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him saying, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Save yourself. Save yourself. Save yourself. This is too weak. Kings don't do this. Certainly not create the creator God. Our Messiah can't do this. It's just too weak. And I, I can't even describe that it's this save yourself, save yourself, save yourself. There's something so offensive about God winning the war over humanity, winning the battle against the principalities and powers, crushing opposition under his feet through such a display of weakness. A Jewish carpenter who has nothing to his name, hanging, bleeding, bludgeoned, this weakness became the ultimate window through which we see the glory of God revealed through the suffering love of Jesus. So every excuse you and I write ourselves out of, I'm too weak. I'm, God's like, nope, it's a window I want to show my glory through. Every one of them. Every one of them. And we see it here. It's so offensive. Save yourself, the crowd, the leaders. Save yourself, save yourself, save yourself. And he's like, you don't understand. The fact that I'm giving up my life, this display of weakness, is so that the glory of God and his resurrection life can flood and fashion and fill the earth with new creation life. Weakness becoming a window of God's glory. Uh, this is a phenomenal quote. What humans fail to do when at their best, God accomplished when at his weakest and worst, or so it seemed at the time. Oh my goodness, friends, this is what he does. Why did he want to give them the Bible, their, their story? Why did he want them to have clarity and competency in the message? Because they would become its messenger. 
And friends, the same is true of you and I. Each and every one of us, when we bring our story and we introduce it to the grace and mercy and transforming love of Jesus, we empty ourselves of our pride and we just say, come Holy Spirit, fill me, make me that vessel, that instrument, that ambassador, that messenger. Friends, God can't wait to accomplish his purposes for today, for your life, for your family, for your city, for your neighborhood, for our church, for the nations, through weak vessels that say, you know what? I'm not gonna write myself out of God's story anymore. Yep, I'm weak, but my weakness is a window for God to display the glory of his son. Yep, through my humble little witness and through my desire by the Spirit to be and to do the will of God, the kingdom of heaven will invade the earth through my little life, through my little love, through my little surrender. And this is the good news. These are why we need new lenses, not just to see the message, but to see that, oh my goodness, we can become its messenger. Even people like you and even people like me. This is my hope today is that you're gripped with this unbelievable reality that our weakness is a window into the glory of Christ and through the humble witness of a life surrendered to be and to do the will of God. And that through our witness and through our weakness, the message of Jesus would go forth with such simplicity, embodied just like Jesus, give me something to eat around tables and in homes and in families through friendships, that a tidal wave of God's grace and love would flow through us and it would transform the Central Coast and it would transform the nation and the nations of the earth. Your and I's weakness is a window. Your witness is powerful because of who's at the center of your story, King Jesus. So we boast about our weakness, verse 9 so that Christ's power may rest on us in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And let me just pray this over us together. Father, I pray that we would have revelation by the Holy Spirit, that we can be confident and competent of the message. We can know your word. We can know the gospel, not just in our heads, but in our hearts. We can live the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. But that, Lord, in this hour when so many are seeking and searching for answers, we can, by the grace of Christ and the power of the Spirit, become its messengers. And I pray that you'd remove the muzzle, you'd remove the fear, you would overcome the fear, overcome those reasons that we say you couldn't or you can't, and that we would be shocked to see that our weakness is simply a window through which God can display the glory of Christ. Father, I pray you would fill our church with boldness and Holy Spirit fire and that we would be confident, courageous, and full of conviction that we too can become witnesses of the beautiful story of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his soon return. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I love you so much. Reach out. Let's become competent, confident, courageous, and convicted. Uh, just that God promises that we don't have to do this 
at all alone as individuals or in our own talent or strength, but he wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit, boldness and power. And if you need help with that, reach out to us, give us a call, shoot us an email, click the links below, let us know how we can pray for you, click the link below. If you're in a tight spot and you need people to rally around you uh, with prayer or financial resource in this difficult time, nobody has to travel alone, even in a shelter in place season. I love you, I'm praying for you, and I'm here for you. Bless you guys. Let's live in light with these new lenses because we serve a God who raises the dead. Bless you.